Man, I love my church. Good morning. Look at you guys. Oh, man. Um, so good to see y'all. I think Vanderbilt's on spring break. I thought we were going to be a lot emptier than this even. I'm used to spring break meaning like half attendance, but the squad is here. We're deep today. That's what I'm talking about. Let's go, baby. Um, all right. Hey, my name's Joshua. If this is your first time here, uh, man, I, I genuinely hope you feel welcome. And uh, just, a, just a word to those that this is not your first time here. Um, I invite you to remember what it was like to walk into the Ruby the first time, especially if you showed up here alone, how uncomfortable that was. And you got a cup of coffee because that's the best thing to do when you're nervous, just so you have something to hold. I don't even like coffee, but I'm going to hold on to this sucker because uh, security blankets aren't cool anymore. So I just got this cup of coffee, you know, and uh, they're cool still. Um, but... But I just want you to remember what that's like. And, and when you come here on Sundays, and if you see someone who you don't recognize, um, you don't have to be their, their best friend. Uh, you don't have to be even a close friend. If that happens, great. But at the very least, I just want to invite you to, to always extend a hand of welcome. Uh, feel free to like sit with somebody for five minutes, get to know their story, how they got here. Um, I think God, uh, eventually, I think God really wants to turn this place into a space where there's a lot of co-ministry happening. And what I mean by that is that it's not just the preacher and, and, and the worship and, and the team that's like thinking, okay, we're the ministers in this room. Uh, but instead, it's a room full of people going like, Holy Spirit, like I'm here. And on the weeks where I need you, I'm going to come needing you. On the weeks where I feel like you're with me, um, help me to pour out to my brothers and sisters in the room. And I really believe that God's going to turn this into a place where prayer ministry shoulder to shoulder will be very commonplace. Um, but that starts with us, right? That starts with you in that chair um, saying yes to the Lord, saying yes, I'm willing to be one of those people. And so does that make sense? I don't even know. I'm, man, I'm so tired. Anybody else tired? And it's lukewarm in here. Yes. <laughs> Woo, man. Hey, let's just cancel. Let's go to sleep. Let's just take a nap. Come on. Shabbat. Uh, all right. Sabbath. All my Christian nerds were like, ah, ha, ha, ha. Everyone else is like, what? All right. Hey, I want to give you guys uh, a little bit of vision for, for March. Uh, just this month, this is the first Sunday of March. It's already March, by the way. What are we doing? It's awesome. And, and some people have really been looking forward to that. And, uh, but for the first, the first two Sundays, so today and, and next week, um, we're going to have just sort of standalone Sunday, so it won't be connected to any larger theme. And so uh, today we're just going to talk about, if you're taking notes, today's going to be just reliving our testimony. And so I'm gonna, we're going to just think about our stories with God. Uh, and then next week we have Fuel Bag Sunday. And if you're, if you're new here, um, what Fuel Bag Sunday is, is basically our church coming together and preparing these like snack slash meal bags for 86 students over at Aiken Elementary. It's a school right in our backyard. And uh, we, we prepare meals for 86 students for the whole month, like next week. And so we'll be out on the porch. Hopefully we get decent weather. It'll probably just be cold and freezing because the enemy is lurking. But hopefully it's nice for us. But next week that'll come. And we don't need anything from you other than just to show up ready to, to just be on the porch assembling these fuel bags. So that's coming next week. It'll be great. But then two weeks from today, we're kicking off a new series. Um, I've been long wanting to do a book study, uh, to just get in a book study. If you've been here for any amount of time, we've been doing a lot of themes. We've just been kind of bouncing around different themes. And I've been eager to just get in a book and stay there for a while. And so we're going to do that. We're going to be in 1 Samuel. Um, I'd also been eager to get in the Old Testament because I feel like, I don't know, 
the gospels are just, they're just easier, you know what I'm saying? Well, they're not, because like Jesus, like come and die and you know, all that stuff, it's hard. But in terms of like accessibility, the Old Testament can feel challenging. And so I, I, I've been thinking about this church growing in, in our biblical literacy, just our ability to navigate scripture. And so um, we're gonna do it together, man. I'm a little intimidated to be frank with you, but we're gonna do it. So in two weeks, we're gonna start 1 Samuel and we'll be in 1 Samuel till like June 19th. And that's subject, what's up? (laughs) Y'all are really helping me. You knew I was tired and I needed it, thank you, yeah. Anyway, but uh, we'll be in 1 Samuel until June 19th and that's subject to change, it'll probably end up being longer. But anyway, all right, there's some vision for you. All right, so today, title, Relive My Testimony. Um, And do you guys remember what it was like to uh, be in elementary school? sit at the, yes, <laughs> to, be, to be sitting like in the cafeteria or recess. And I feel like this is one of those conversations that everyone had when they were younger. You guys remember what it was like when, when someone would ask like, hey, has anyone like broken a bone before? And it was always like, if you had, like it was like, like a badge of honor. It was like, yeah, I have. Let me tell you about it, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, I have. It's like, how'd you do it? The ultimate moment in elementary school, at least in my eyes, was if you got to show up to school with a cast on. It was like, dude, what happened? You know, like, this is crazy. <laughs> you, you survived. This is wild. Someone just fell off a tree or something. And, uh, or like the question of, like, do you have any scars? You know, and, and, uh, and the bigger the scar, the bigger the boss. It was like, man, like, tell us your war stories. Um, you know, we, we would talk like veterans from war, like taking a drag from our candy cigarette, just like... <laughs> It's hard to relive that moment. <laughs> you know, I was skateboarding. Didn't know how, you know. Uh, and I was, always, I was always bummed about whenever these stories started to be exchanged because I never broke anything. I was so lame. I was so, it's, thank you. Yeah, yes, Tabitha, you get it. It's really brutal. It's like, what happened to you? Nothing. All I ever did, I have a couple. I, I slipped on some mop water in PE and I knocked my head on the ground and went unconscious for two seconds, and then I woke back up, and that's the whole story. That's not a good story. One time I was cutting an orange with a steak knife. I cut my finger. Didn't need stitches, just a little cut. Went to the doctor anyway, got it glued shut. Probably didn't need that either. It's like, that's all I got. Basically, I was just an idiot with a steak knife and an orange. (laughs) I remember one time I was playing street hockey. Yeah, in fifth grade. So imagine me, four foot tall, fifth grade, <laughs> playing street hockey, and I got knocked on my back, and or no, on my front, because I hurt my arm. And my arm was hurting, but I knew I was fine, but I was just desperate for that broken bone story. So I can, my parents are like, Josh, I really don't think it's broken. I'm like, <laughs> I gotta work up this t- these tears. It's broken, and we go to the hospital, get x-rays. I know nothing about like insurance and bills and stuff. <laughs> Doctor comes back, it's not broken. I'm like, ah, shoot, I was just hoping it didn't hurt. But anyway, I was sad. Because scars and broken bones implied in that was just kind of this sentiment of like, hey, I, I survived that, you know? Like at one point, there was this deep place of pain, blood, there's x-rays and my arm was like broken. And somehow I made it out, you know? To know that at one point there was pain and now there's, I'm just healed and I survived it and it just feels cool. But as we grow older, I, I feel like, I know this is kind of a cheesy segue, so prepare yourself. But as we grow older, I think that we can forget that, that scars are still cool. Like scars are still awesome. 
that whether they're from broken bones or physical cuts or just from places in our testimony where at one point we were brokenhearted, wounded, hurting, and now we stand here like still breathing, still alive, still confident enough to show up into this building on a Sunday. Like that's really cool. And it can be easy to look back on places of like deep wounding, deep pain, places we're ashamed of, especially if it's sin, especially if it was our fault. And we look back and all we can feel is the shame and the embarrassment. This morning, I got to the office far too early. I couldn't sleep for some reason. And since I had a lot of time, (laughs) I was just walking around the office and I felt my own heart. I was prepared to talk to y'all about the shame you might feel, but I, I don't know if God was in that or if it was just me being super sleepy or what, but I felt my own heart being like, I'm just, I'm about to talk about how scars are still cool. I don't like some of mine. And it just kind of stinks to like be like, man, there's actually some things, you know, God uses it all for his glory. But yeah, if I could redo it, maybe I would switch it up, you know? Maybe I would change a few of my decisions back in the day because they hurt me and they hurt people I cared about. And he was honestly taking me through this teaching internally where he was like, no, I'm, be proud. Like you stand here today. You are healed. You have been delivered. And Today, I just want to talk about like our testimonies and potentially I'm going to invite you to look back on places that you're proud of because you overcame, but maybe there's some places you overcame that even when you look back, you feel a little bit of that, oh, I wish I I didn't have to overcome it though. Like, I'm glad I'm here, but like, I hate that it happened in the first place. I don't know how you're going to feel, but walk with me because I think that God wants to remind us like, man, there are places that used to be broken that used to be open wounds. And we sit here today healed. And may those scars testify to the places we are currently broken, currently wounded, and remind us that healing can and will happen in the name of Jesus. I think about what Jesus said to people that he would heal it sometimes. In Luke chapter eight, he heals a demon-possessed man. And he instructs him, the demon-possessed man, cleansed of his demons, naturally goes, Jesus, I'm coming with you. It's a natural next step. I've found you, you've healed me, I'm free, I'm rocking. And Jesus says, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Because Jesus knew, you go back home, they know you there. And if they see you sane and calm and redeemed, that's gonna hit. That's gonna hit home. When they see what Jesus does, to a soul, they're gonna know something's different. God is real, God is near, God is close. Jesus knew that this man in Luke chapter eight had scars, but had scars worth showing off, had scars worth talking about. He didn't want this man to go and live his life going, hey, forget this ever happened. Jesus goes, no, go back home Show them what's up because all of everyone that knows you needs to know exactly where you used to be so they can see what the goodness of Jesus does to a human heart. I think about John chapter four, verse 39. This is right after um, he meets with this woman at the well, this Samaritan woman. I think I talked about this like last week even, maybe the week before, but 
This woman who, who was known to sleep around, known to have many husbands. She was at all the parties and always went home with a different guy. And she was going and, and getting water in the high noon at the hottest part of the day, right? Just to avoid public shaming. And Jesus saves her life, preaches the gospel. And John 4 verse 39 says, many Samaritans, that's already impactful, but we ain't got time for that sermon. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, believed in Jesus because, directly because of that woman's testimony. Because of who she used to be, because of her scars, when she went talking about Jesus, they went, there's no way this is fake. (laughs) If that woman is talking this way about that man, that man is the Messiah. That's how it works. Jesus knew your scars, the things that formerly kept you ashamed and embarrassed, the reason you are at the well at this hour when it's really hot and no one else is here, that is no longer your secret to keep. Now it's your story to tell. Watch what these scars do. Watch what this testimony does for your community. Isn't that, isn't that incredible to think about, that turnaround? In John chapter 20, Jesus himself shows up to his disciples. And Thomas gets a bad rap because Thomas is like doubting that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And we're all like, no, that makes sense. Like growing up, it was like, don't be like Thomas. I'm like, I am Thomas, like for sure. Like, dead person alive again? Probably not, okay? That's me. And Jesus says, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. And put out your hand. Place it by my side. And do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus knew even his own scars would help his disciples see that Jesus is, in fact, who he says he is. The scars were so significant because they were proof Jesus went through it. The beating was real. The nails were real. The death was real. The scars made sure that was clear, but there he was speaking and breathing in their midst so his gospel story could not be denied. The Messiah that once was dead was living again in their midst. And so as as we think about scars, I just want to invite us this morning. Most of this is going to be participatory. I don't really have a sermon for you today. But I felt led in my heart just to invite us as a church family to think about our stories, to think about our testimonies, and to relive them today. But I figured instead of just like asking you to start thinking about your testimony, I'd start with a little bit of my own. And so you don't have to break your testimony down into categories, but I've got three categories I want to talk through for my own story. And then I'm going to invite you to like stand up and do some jumping jacks so you can wake up in this very warm room um, and then think about your own testimony. Does that make sense? All right, so I'm going to share a little bit of my story real quick, and then I'm going to let you reflect on your own story, okay? We still here? I love this. I love stories. They're so sweet. Um, All right. So I want to talk about my story. So I thought about uh, three words, grace, mercy, and healing. Um, So I want to start with grace, where I've seen God's grace in my life. And simple definition of grace, the free and unmerited favor of God. So just God gave you something, you didn't earn it, you don't deserve it, you just got it, and it's sweet. It's good news when he gives it to you. And so I thought, there's, I have several of these stories, um, but I went back to when I was seven, and I was at this church called Trace Creek Baptist Church, and uh, the tagline was a hospital for sinners, which is cheesy, and then you think about it, and you're like, no, that's pretty sweet, though. That's good. Like, I want, I would love for this church to have, like, a hospital for those that feel broken and wounded. That's actually, like, awesome. So, anyway, um, shout out. 
But when I was like seven years old, my pastor's name was Brother Ronnie. I have no idea what he was preaching about. I just remember feeling compelled. I'd never be on the right side of the church, which we didn't normally sit on that side. Don't know what was going on. <laughs> Baptist shoes sit in the exact same spot. We switched it up that night, um, but it played a role. And uh, I remember like just feeling this like welling up in my chest. Like I really want to belong to the Lord. I just remember knowing I want to be in the fold. I want to be in God's family. And so Baptists, they have this thing called an invitation. It's where after the, the preacher preaches, they play some music and they just invite you. If you want to come pray, walk down the aisle and pray at the altar. Or you can even grab the priest, the, the priest. I was going to say preacher and then turn to priest. I'm Baptist. So uh, I grabbed the preacher and he actually did this repeat after me prayer. I just said, I really want to know Jesus. He said, all right, well, I'm going to invite you. You can just pray this prayer after me, but you got to mean the word. So just, just pray when you're ready. I remember just praying to Jesus and asking him to come into my heart, like, Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. And I felt a little intimidated telling this story because, I don't know, seven-year-olds are so young and naive, you know, and, or they can be, no offense to seven-year-olds, um, love you guys, <laughs> faith like a child. Um, but yeah, as I thought about it this morning, I was like, no, I remember like this like spirit in my chest. I remember getting in my dad's like 1994 red soft top Jeep Wrangler and riding shotgun with him. And I remember like literally bouncing in the chair, like dad, it happened, you know? I believe in God, this rocks, like I love Jesus. And I went to class the next day in Miss Linda Schmidt's class, that was her real name. And, and I was like, guys, like I know Jesus. And it was a really powerful moment. When I think about like God's grace, like something I didn't work for, I didn't earn for, just one day, little old, like three foot something, me was just sitting in a church pew and my legs were just like swinging back and forth. And all of a sudden I just felt prompted by the spirit of God. That's, I really believe that. Like the spirit of God like prompted me to give my life to him. I've got several other examples. Uh, by like eight years old, I felt called to preach. That was amazing. I remember giving a speech in first year writing at Belmont that led me to some of my best friendships and directly led me to Ethos because of a speech that I gave, super random. I remember my wife, Leah, following me on Instagram the day after my birthday. That led to my marriage. <laughs> I remember several prayers that I prayed in the private places of my life. Like I, Honestly, as I thought about God, where have I seen your grace? I just thought back to several moments. I saw myself in my bed in Mayfield, Kentucky on Brand Street, in my closet in that same house. I saw myself in multiple parking lots, in living rooms, in, in multiple bedrooms that I lived in, just like crying out to the Lord. And I just always felt like his spirit had a hold of me. And I'm just so grateful because I don't feel like I earned that. I don't feel like I really worked hard for that. I feel like the spirit was just in me. So those are some examples for me of grace. Second, mercy. Simple definition of mercy, compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. It's kind of a mouthful. So AKA God withholding something that's deserved. So like God's wrath or God's punishment, him withholding that, even though maybe I'd asked for it. Maybe in fact, I definitely deserved it. Okay, that's mercy. So I have tons and tons of stories here. But honestly, I. I'm gonna give y'all an obvious one. Anyone that's been here for more than a few months, y'all already know where I'm going with this one most likely, but I've always had this really addictive personality. Uh, a big part of my story is like substances. Um, well, honestly, anything that can get me inebriated or high or, or drunk, it's just a big part of my life. And, 
And so I just thought about all the times that I got behind the wheel under the influence. Uh, one time I got in an accident, got arrested, got suspended from Belmont, but I made a lot of reckless decisions. I, I made decisions where I was asking for pain, uh, where I did things out of pure impulse. No victim, like I had, not a victim. Uh, I had a really good family tree, like healthy surroundings, healthy, amazing community. God was gracious in the brothers he surrounded me with. But out of just selfishness and impulsivity, I made really stupid decisions. And like no one died, you know? I don't know how that works. I, I, I don't know why I was spared. Uh, the week that I got my DUI and got arrested, I was starting my internship at Ethos. And Dave Clayton, the pastor at Ethos, still let me be an intern. And that internship, I feel, really preserved my time in ministry. It kept me from being one of those pastors that I'm scared of being. So I think about God's mercy in that. I did not deserve that. I do feel that things were withheld from me that I had asked for repeatedly with a lot of arrogance. And so anyway, that's my example. A lot of recklessness. That's where I feel like I've seen his mercy. These are pretty big examples, so you can think of smaller ones too. They don't have to be, whatever. Just think about it. Third, healing. Where have you experienced God's healing? I thought of a lot of words. This slide's kind of annoying because I give way too many examples of what it could fall under. But like loss, addiction, anxiety, depression, suffering, fear. And this may be like I feel completely healed or I've seen real growth or, you know, it's free-flowing. But I, I was taken back to when I saw pornography for the first time. I was like nine or 10 years old, had no clue pornography existed. And this is actually pretty common. I learned that you typically see porn for the first time in between ages like seven and 11. What world are we living in, right? And it's typically not on purpose because you're in between the ages of seven and 11. So like, how could it be? And that was my story. And, but it, man, it really led down a really hard road for me. My, all my teenage years, I mean, just like prepubescent me, knowing what porn is. And before anyone had taught me sex ed, like I knew pornography. And man, that kind of was a, a thing in my life uh, up until 21 years old. And porn is so, I'm not gonna go on too long of a tangent here, but I want to. Porn is so readily accepted and it's so joked about in like sitcoms and stand-up routines. It's just implied. Everyone watches porn all the time and it's normal. Like girlfriends and fiancés and wives are just kind of taught to just accept that their boyfriend, fiancé, husband, he's just going to watch porn. That's just how it's going to go. What a bummer, man. Um, but I don't believe that has to be your story. Man or woman, I know that like 30 or 40% of women deal with porn addiction. And so the numbers are pretty staggering and it makes sense that jokes are made to make porn sound like the most normal part of life. It's like as normal as just breathing. Um, and I get it, but it had me pretty held captive for a solid decade. And I don't know how this works, but when I was 21, the summer of being 21 years old, there just came this moment where like, I was just like, I'm done. I'm not gonna watch porn anymore. Um, that doesn't make sense scientifically because of how my brain was wired. Like the neuroplasticity of my brain did not heal in that instant. So I don't know how this works and I'm not promising this to anybody and everybody. But I can just tell you that since that moment, porn has not been a part of my life. And I'm so grateful 
And it's kind of enabled me to do two things as I walk with other men to one, empathize, to go, oh, my, my man, like, I'm with you. I know what it is to not know how to escape this. And so you have 0% judgment or harshness coming from me as you try to find freedom. But also it gives, it gives me so far, and I say this with a humble heart, a testimony of like healing. Hey, my man, I promise you, you aren't above being a reptile. You are above needing to get off every day. Too far, that was probably too much adult language. I really do apologize if that was too far. Um, but there is hope. You are not what culture has made you to be, like has told you that you are. You're not just some like dumb frat bro that like, oh man, I just gotta do it. You know, that's not who you gotta be. And so I get to like testify of like, man, I relate to you and I'm, I'm with you for as long as this journey goes, I'm down. If it's till death, let's do it. But also I promise you, like I'm a testimony, there is healing. No matter how long it takes, you can find complete freedom. I really believe in the name of Jesus that that freedom could be at 100% until you die. And so um, that's just a place where I found healing. Now, I don't know, I feel nervous telling that story too because addiction's so hard. It's so hard, you guys, it's really hard. And so I do believe there's hope, but also believe there's grace and there's patience and there's so much there's more grace than you'll ever understand over your life. So I say that with a humble heart, I promise you. Especially in our culture, because every day, like the Instagram algorithm, no matter how much you're pressing not interested, like it's just throwing, it, it, man, it's, it's wild out here. It really is, it's a jungle. Um, all right, so last thing. When we talk about scars, we don't talk about them as finished products. Our scars don't testify that we're sinless. I'm not testifying that I'm like infallible now. Like Jesus healed me from anything and everything. I'm just preaching like, man, God has delivered me in certain areas of my life and I'm very grateful. He's shown me grace. He's lavished things on me I didn't deserve. He's withheld things I did deserve. He's healed places that I didn't think I could find true healing and he has. And may my testimony spur me on in my current life so now I can go, oh, I'm really struggling with anger. I just feel like there's no shot. When I have a baby, I, which we're not pregnant, but if I had a baby right now, I feel like, God, I'm gonna be so stressed and mad. But you know what? At one point, if you would have told me, you're not gonna watch porn for like 10 years, I would have said, you're lying to my face directly right now. That's happening. <laughs> that's, not gonna, that's not possible for me. And so my testimony helps me realize, you know what? I can be free of anger. Maybe not anytime soon, but I'm gonna take some steps straight up and I'm gonna walk toward freedom with my head high. Jesus, thank you for your grace when I fail, but let's start getting rid of this anger. You know what I'm saying? And so hopefully that's kind of what we get today. All right, it's hot, we're tired, let's get to it. Exercise part one. I wanna invite you to think about your story, to relive your testimony. And listen, it's tired in here. So if you need to stand, walk around, I'm gonna look at my phone, give ourselves 10 full minutes. And I just invite you to, with God, think about your story. Relive your testimony. And if you need help, think about areas of grace, mercy, healing. But live them with God. Where have you seen God in your life? Name those moments for yourself. Meditate on them. If you think of one and just wanna stop there and really relive that moment. And then just end it with God, like, thank you. I've thought about this moment so many times, but as I think about it for the thousandth time, I'm still so grateful. You found me here. You met my life here. I love you for that. 
I know that was you. So anyway, where has God met you? What stories stand out? Luke, if you don't mind, um, can we get some like in-house music going? And uh, I'm gonna look at my phone. We're gonna go 10 minutes. So individual time. Don't fall asleep. Love you.